The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the Movies and Games edition of the AV Podcast for the 22nd of November 2006. In this edition, we go 007 crazy with a review of Casino Royale and a Bond roundtable discussion with the AV Play team. We review King Kong on DVD and HD DVD and Chris McAnini gives an in-depth overview of the Region 1 DVD release of Superman Returns. Plus, we have some big DVD and games competitions and Ian Collin and Seth Gecko bring us the latest from the video games world. But first, it's time for the news. From AV Play... It's this week's DVD and HD News and Reviews. Welcome to this week's DVD and HD News and Reviews. Coming up, we've got reviews of King Kong Extended DVD, King Kong on HD DVD, an in-depth look at Superman Returns on Region 1, and a first look at Casino Royale, which hit cinemas this week. But first, it's time for the news and Seth Gecko. This week, Universal Studios have announced the HD DVD release of Hollywoodland. The movie, starring Ben Affleck, Diane Lane and Bob Hoskins, is based on the infamous real-life mystery of the death of George Reeves, who portrayed Superman in the original TV series. Now, the HD DVD is a DVD combo disc and will include Dolby Digital Plus 5.1 soundtrack on the HD DVD side and standard Dolby Digital 5.1 on the DVD side. At the moment, the extras are to be confirmed. And staying with Paramount Home Entertainment, they've also announced the Region 1 release of Jackass Number 2 on the 26th of December. Johnny Knoxville and Steve-O, as well as the entire crew from the popular MTV franchise, are back again for more insane DVD action. There'll be two versions of the DVD in both rated and unrated editions. And extras on both editions include a commentary track, a making of, 16 deleted scenes, 29 additional scenes, 9 TV spots, 8 promotionals, bloopers, outtakes, music videos and lots more. The unrated version also includes 7 unrated additional scenes, as well as video music awards spots and an easter egg. Universal Pictures have announced the DVD release of DOA Dead or Alive on Region 2 DVD on the 8th of January. The movie starring Holly Valance and Jamie Presley is based on the best-selling video game series. The DVD is presented in a 235 to 1 anamorphic widescreen ratio with English Dolby Digital 5.1 soundtracks, a making of and deleted scenes. And if you fancy a collection which includes Predator, Predator 2 and the brand new Alien vs Predator extended cut in a nice 13.5 inches high Predator Warrior bust, then Fox Home Entertainment are releasing Predator, the Ultimate DVD Collection, on the 11th of December for £149. This limited edition collector's set is a must for anybody who's into the Predator series of films or who just likes to collect movie memorabilia. And coming on the 9th of January next year is The Illusionist, the movie starring Ed Norton, Paul Giamatti and Jessica Biel. Details are sketchy in terms of extras at this moment in time, but there will be a featurette on The Illusionist, the making of, and a theatrical trailer as well. And that's your DVD and HD news for this week. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. 
This week's DVD Reviews. And first up this week is Chris McAnini and his in-depth overview of Superman Returns on Region 1 DVD. Brian Singer jumps ship on the X-Men franchise and finds his, uh, his first love, which is Superman. And uh, that's quite a good way of putting it because his movie, as good as it is, as colourful and as fantastical as it is, it just plays like a really, really overblown love letter to the big boy scout. I saw this a couple of times at the pictures and the first... I, I, I still like the film, but there's a lot of problems with it. The DVD, which, which you get, um, is a double discer. It's a, it's a nice package. Um, we'll talk about the, the movie itself first. Superman returns, yes he does, but why does he return? It's a bit of a, a hodgepodge of a, of a narrative, which I don't quite like. The plot has involved Superman whisking himself off to the remnants of Krypton and uh, for a five-year hiatus, and to basically find survivors, find himself, find what his goal in life really should be. Uh, a bit of soul-searching from the Superman there. And then he returns to Earth. Of course, time has moved on. Lois Lane has a little baby. Well, not a baby. She has um, a toddler. Um, she has a new love in her life. The world seems to have got by without him. Is there still room for a, a super saviour for the planet? Well, of course there is, yes. Lex Luthor is uh, he's out of the joint. He's, he's back doing one of his, um, his grand real estate projects, his nefarious schemes to destroy half of the states and create his own his own continent, New Krypton. The problem with the movie is there's not enough action in it. Um, you have a couple of standout sequences. The, well, the celebrated shuttle come plane rescue, which Superman goes on it, which is his return to fame and glory. Well, yeah, that is absolutely spectacular. There's no two ways about it. I was, I could barely contain myself when I saw it in the pictures, and even watching it now on DVD, it is still a really, really rip-roaring and thrilling um, set piece. Fantastic, very exciting. Sadly, there isn't enough of that kind of stuff taking place in it. Uh, what the rest of the movie plays out like is, well, it's the the love triangle: Superman, Clark Kent, uh, Lois Lane, and of course. James Marston, who uh, Brian Singer has brought back from the uh, X-Men to give him a bit of a, a bit more of a role in a movie, um, plays um, Richard White, who is Perry White's nephew. He's the uh, Perry White being the editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet, and it's good to see James Marston back. And the clever thing here is that um, obviously we want Clark, Kal El, Superman, and Lois Lane to get to get together. But they're never really meant to be together, are they? That, that's the thing. And you've got to keep finding reasons why they can't be to keep this eternal will-they-won't-they they saga ongoing. So, of course, you had James Marsden. And is he the father of the son? Or is it somebody else of a more galactic nature? That's pretty easy to work out. But um, the good thing is that you like James Marsden's character. This is It would have been so easy to have made him unlikable, and get him ditched as quickly as possible. But he's not, he's actually a fully rounded character in his own right, and you know, there's no reason why he should be booted out for the sake of um, the guy with the cape and the boots. It looks great, or rather it did look great. On the DVD, I noticed there was a, a fine layer of grain, which I hadn't noticed at the cinema. I mean, you, you may know this was shot on, on new high definition cameras, and but the image on the disc appears to be well, a little, a little too soft for my liking. 
And there's one or two elements, particularly in the underwater sequences, where a bit of slow filtering or a bit of slow processing seems to be taking place. Uh, that may be just consigned to, to my copy, I, I don't know, but um, it's not that detrimental. But you know, you, you would expect something a lot sharper, a lot clearer, a lot more vibrant. The colour, the, the colour palette is, is very painterly, but that was designed that way. You have lots of gorgeous skies above the uh, above Ke the Kent farmstead. You have um, fantastic imagery from the uh, Fortress of Solitude. Um, the, the glowing green of Kryptonite, yeah, that's all lovely. The disc handles all that pretty well. And the extremely fast action in, in the one or two moments of um, superheroics. Um, yeah, it handles that extremely well. Sound is very good as well. Sound is not nothing particularly outstanding, but it's, uh, it, it does the job perfectly well. Disc 2. Now, we have an enormous uh, documentary split into five different parts. It's, um, I've forgotten what it's actually called now, but it's uh, the overall thing. It's Resurrecting Krypton or something like that. Well, if you've read my reviews before, you'll know quite how much I enjoy big meaty makings of. But sadly, something's gone wrong with this one. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I, I, it goes on for almost three hours. Although it's conveniently broken down, it just seems to never end. And I found myself getting extremely bored watching it. Obviously, watching it in one sitting for the sake of the review perhaps was a little bit too much. But normally that doesn't bother me. You know, I can I could watch any hours of stuff about Lord of the Rings or King Kong, Gladiator, Kingdom of Heaven. And their mammoth documentaries have been riveting from start to finish, even the most mundane of uh, uh, trivia behind the scenes. But here, I don't know. I think it's because the film itself, when you look back on it, doesn't really have that much taking place. That sounds a bit bizarre because you know, it does save the world, but they, they go so anal about every aspect of this movie, which ordinarily I would applaud and say this is you know it's what everyone wants. This is how every DVD should be, and yeah, in a way they should be, but I still felt a little bit overwhelmed by by this, just the, the documentary saturation on this. You have a selection of, I think it's 11 deleted scenes. Sadly, these add nothing whatsoever to the movie. Um, some of them are very, very brief, just scene extensions and unnecessary tacked-on bits. Overall, I would recommend it. it. It is entertainment. It's just not quite what a lot of fans expected and say a lot of maybe more casual superhero fans would have expected. I give it a 7 out of 10. Anyway, it's, uh, it's, worth, it's worth getting. See what you think. This week's DVD reviews. Peter Jackson's King Kong is released this week on Region 1 DVD as an extended edition and is also available on HD DVD. So reviewing the HD DVD disc is Seth Gecko, but first up it's the Region 1 DVD and Simon Crust. Okay, spinning up in my Denon DVD player today, I've had the three disc edition of Peter Jackson's extended edition of King Kong. It's had an additional 13 to 15 minutes added to its already ample runtime of over three hours, making it nearly three and a half hours. The real question, I suppose, is, is the film worth extending? If I'm speaking personally from the heart, I don't think the additional scenes add anything to the film. Essentially, they are two big scenes involved on the island with the crew that are going to find Anne when she was picked up by Kong 
it's, it's a big triceratops type creature attacks them as soon as they go through the gate. Um, I personally, I felt this particular scene spoiled the reveal of the brontosaur dinosaur long neck things that come along later, and I felt this is a very, very unnecessary scene. The second major scene is a Jaws type homage when they are on rafts going through a, a river and this big piranodon, I think they called it, um, attack them from underneath. Again, um, it sort of spoiled the um, flow of the film. Now, King Kong addicts, of course, are going to go wild over this thing. Oh, it's the greatest film ever. People like Chris, for example. And if if you're being nitpicky, I suppose you could say yes. If you want Kong to be Kong, this is the, his extended, his definitive version. I personally think the theatrical version itself runs at a much better pace and is a much tighter film. As a DVD picture, the quality is second to none. Now, the two-disc version that most of us already own was superlative in itself, but splitting onto two discs as they've done here now, giving it a the higher, slightly higher bitrate, it is an immaculate picture. I could spot no flaws whatsoever. Seth, in a minute, is going to talk about the high definition. I really don't know how it could be beaten by this the DVD quality that I noticed today. Talking a little bit more about the set, um, we have three discs. Each disc has its own set of extras. first two discs are the film with a commentary, there are bloopers, there are 38 minutes more of deleted scenes, which I confess I haven't had time to watch yet. There is also a three and a half hour making of documentary, which is split up into various segments, which I have watched and is incredible detail. If you've seen the Lord of the Rings making ofs, then you know exactly what to expect here. You get interviews with everyone and everyone. There are pictures, videos. Um, real question is, is it worth upgrading from the two disc to the three disc? Well, as a DVD set, I don't think you can beat it. The extras package alone is phenomenal. And if you're a fan of the film, then I guess it's worth spending out the money. Um, if you're not, personally, I would stick with the two disc edition. So moving on from the DVD extended edition, Seth Gecko's been looking at the HD DVD. So what did you think, Seth? From an HD point of view, in terms of picture and sound, it's obviously going to be infinitely better than the DVD, basically because of the enhanced resolution. And it doesn't disappoint on that front. We have a very sharp, detailed picture with excellent colours, no artefacts, none of the usual plaguing of halos and so on and so forth in the transfer. From that point of view, it's very good. Audio, we've still only got a Dolby Digital soundtrack. Um, it is slightly better than the regular Dolby Digital one that we had uh, on the DVD, but not a huge improvement, I, I personally feel. A little bit better on a tighter on the bass levels um, and a little bit better on the dialogue, but overall, I, I found it kind of more of the same, just slightly better, probably because of the enhanced bitrate. In terms of the movie, can't stand it, is the, is the real nicest thing I can say about it. We do not need three hours of King Kong, like we didn't really need three hours per Lord of the Rings movie. Um, I found it incredibly boring, I found it incredibly tedious, I couldn't wait for them to get to the island after an hour it took, you know, to get to, to actually meet Kong. Um, it just felt so laboured um, and, and, and if I have to hear somebody quote that terrible line Jack Black says at the end of oh, it was beauty that killed the beast I, I, I'll have to slip my wrists awful 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 movie so in terms of an HD DVD though how are you going to score this is it a, a reference disc 
it's, it's a tough one because it is, as you say, um, it is very good for reference. It's not, I don't think, as good as, say, the Batman or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in terms of um, the, the actual quality of either the soundtrack or, indeed, the picture quality. But it's up there in the top five discs at the moment. The problem is, is like I say, for me, the movie couldn't stand it. So if you like Kong, then you're going to enjoy it. If you're like me and thought, one, you know, what the hell is this all about? How can anyone like this? You might as well not bother. Uh, just buy, you know, the, the general DVD three disc set or the two disc edition because it, it's not really that good, in my opinion. So Seth, I can't help but thinking you're in the minority there. But what were you going to score that disc as? If you're if you're a fan, I'll score it as an eight out of ten. If you're not a fan like me, three out of ten. Awful film. For more DVD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. This week's roundtable discussion, hosted by Phil Hinton. So for this week's roundtable discussion, we've gone James Bond mad with the release of Casino Royale in the cinemas. Joining us are the AV Play review team, Chris McAnini, Kaz Harlow, Seth Gecko, and Simon Crust. So to start off today's chat, Casino Royale is now released, so will you guys be going to see it, or are you thinking, oh no, not another Bond? The minute I found out that Daniel Craig was going to be playing Bond, I was absolutely elated. Um, and then when he saw the, the first imagery from the film, the beefed up boxer's face that he's got, it's not exactly a, an oil painting, but uh, finally Ian Fleming's uh, character, who, who was a you know he's a he's a very fallible and flawed sort of guy anyway. You know how, how many ciggies does he smoke a day? He wakes up and drinks like a quart of whiskey for for breakfast. If you go back and read the books, he's not exactly the uh, the super suave, charming um, hero that we obviously came to know with Sean Connery and the super suave foolish fop <laughs> lounge come lounge lizard that was Roger Moore but he has got a hint of danger to him uh, Daniel Craig so I, for that reason alone I'm looking forward to it I think it's also quite weird that um, one of the, the iconic images from, from Bond was always Ursula Andress coming out of the, you know, the sea in Doctor No and now the strange thing is that they're seeing you know Daniel Craig muscle bound coming out the water and all of a sudden you know, that's the image that people are hooking onto. All the women who always say, oh, he's a sexist swine, you know, it doesn't do women any favours. James Bond's just a male fantasy. I'm going with about 15 women to go and see Casino Royale. There's only me and a handful of blokes who are going to go and see it. So what's taking place there? It is a huge switch around. It's obviously not your pulling power, is it there, Chris? Ah, well, I kind of thought it might have been, because it was my idea to go and see it. But I didn't expect it to be, you know, that... You know, they're just so enthusiastic about it. But it has been nice to, to, to sort of go back over the old movies, things I hadn't seen for a long, long time. And especially since they have been recently re-released with... And, the, you know, the, the picture and sound quality. Okay, we have the, um, what could be the joke around DTS soundtrack. Totally unnecessary, but it isn't that glaringly um, ill-fitting either. But the picture has been well and truly cleaned up. God, I mean, I, I, had, the, I had the previous releases too, and having compared the two... It's pretty, pretty good. Well, I think there were plenty of points where they could have uh, given up on the whole Bond franchise for every single one of the actors. You know, Diamonds Are Forever was almost a step too far for Sean Connery, and Roger Moore 
was like 70 when he did View to a Kill. <laughs> um, uh, Timothy Dalton didn't outstay his welcome, but in his own way, he took it in the wrong direction, and or in a different direction. And Pierce Brosnan, um, yeah, he ended with Die Another Day. But all of those... All of the talk about how the anticipation for this new movie is, that's what I had when Pierce Brosnan was going to do Goldeneye. I really was looking forward to this new Bond movie coming out, and it really looked great. I have to say I'm not as keen on um, the new one. It, I know they're taking it back and starting it off again, but um, I'm not really sure whether I'm as interested in it as I was you know, four Bond movies ago. It's um, If they're going to take it in the Jason Bourne direction, then maybe I'm just going to be just as happy waiting for the next Bourne film than rather than the next Bond film. But, um, but I'm still going to watch it. It is nice to note that um, it was Martin Campbell who brought Goldeneye and obviously the Pierce Brosnan era started. He kick-started the franchise again after its days of floundering earlier on. And now he's the one who's to kick-start it yet again with another whole new performer and another... You know, franchise waiting to start. So I think it's nice that it, it, it's him doing it. I, I personally, I loved Goldeneye apart from its soundtrack, which I thought was deplorable. The only person who can score a Bond movie is John Barry, in my opinion. David Arnold, that's it. Yeah, I mean, they're not, they're not so bad, the soundtracks, but they haven't got that same sort of John Barry vibe to them, which was certainly part of what I grew up with and always looked forward to, and I love those soundtracks even now. Um, it's a good idea, actually, to, to go back to the beginning. Um, they, they managed to kickstart Batman again, didn't it? So I can't see why it shouldn't um, kickstart the Bond franchise once again. I have to say, I think I was put off by the trailer. Were you? <laughs> well, you know, it's got it's got like great stunts and all of the Bond things you'd expect from it, but the, like the full-length trailer gives away pretty much the entire plot. And uh, I always say people shouldn't watch trailers, or at least the full-length trailers, but it really disappointed me because you know pretty much what's going to happen for three-quarters of the movie. I mean, plot-wise, well, think... it's just annoying. But it, it's unavoidable. You, you're going to get that. It's media saturation. And I'm a sucker for that. Any big movie that comes along, I buy all the merchandise, all the magazines. I love it. It, it sweeps me along. and I, I love films like this to come along and do that for me. Out of all the movies, guys, what was, what's your favourite Bond and why? Oh, well, personally for me, it's got to be Honor Majesty's Secret Service, the one that people tend to love to diss. But in recent years, there's been a, a huge sort of swing shift in opinion. It's uh, Lazenby's one and only movie. I like him as Bond. I think he projected quite a vulnerability to the character, which was necessary. Uh, it also was very faithful to the book. I mean, he, he got married, uh, he loses his wife, Blofeld gets away with it again. Great, great poignant stuff. Fab, fabulous soundtrack, the Louis Armstrong song. You know, we have all the time in the world. It's so haunting and so perfect. It is a high point of the, um, of the series. The fighting in it, is tremendous. Editing's a bit too snappy, but you know there's there's a brutality there which is uh, which is nice, a ruthlessness which is which I quite like. And uh, you have the tremendous scene of him escape, which is which to, to me is the ultimate of Bond so far, where he's on the run from Blofeld's mountaintop headquarters. He's done the skiing on one ski. He's sent that ridiculous dummy over the edge of the cliff. He then ends up in the uh, in the town below, has a fight in the uh, in the little shack with all the bells in it then the enemy's closing in on him and he you know this is james bond this is the guy that sean connery would just you know he'd have a quip and he'd get away with it roger moore would just cock an eyebrow and he'd be okay um but you see he, 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 the enemy converges on him and he hides down by the ice rink 
he pulls the collars up on the jacket that he's just stolen. He's got no way out. He literally, he's stuck. He's waiting for the, the inevitable. He's waiting for the end. And that's James Bond. But with Lazenby, I believe that. And it's, it's a really great moment. You know, it, it, it's great, great stuff. It's a mar- marvellous movie. All round, I love that movie. Uh, and that, to me, is, yeah, that's the best of the series so far. Chris, didn't he climb up uh, with his shoelaces as well in that one? Is that the right film? No, that was for your eyes only. No, that's for your eyes only. Yeah, that's Roger Moore. That I mean, again, that was that was a, a return to um, the gritty, more realistic ca- style of Bond. There wasn't many gadgets. He was forced to use his own uh, resources, his own physical skills. The only thing wrong with that film, I, I mean, otherwise I quite liked you know, for your eyes only. It's just that the soundtrack is truly appalling. You have like, the great <laughs> ski chase in that one, where they go down the bobsleigh run. But listen to the music, it's oh, it's the spammiest 70s disco cack I've ever heard. You know, it, it, it's shameful, it really is. Otherwise, the film would be great. <laughs> anyway, uh, what was it? My, my favourite Bond. Anyway, um, if you, yeah, Simon, if you get, what's, what's yours? Sorry, um, I'm, I'm not sure that I have a favourite Bond. I, I do like uh, Lazenby. Simply because nobody else does. I always thought it was quite a good film. I just love the ending, you know. That he, he, it's his fallible side. Um, I never really liked Sean Connery very much. He's, I just, I don't know, everyone seems to love him to death and I just don't really. Um, of the more films, it has to be um, Spy Love Me, I think. Um, mainly because of the song, I think. I just love uh, Carly Simon's song. Uh, Timmy Dalton, what was his... Uh, Licence to Kill, yeah. Like, the only, was that a 15 daylight. certificate, wasn't it? The only 15 certificate one that's been given to a Bond. I really liked that one. Mm-hmm. Getting his licence to kill revoked and going around and feeding people the crocodiles and all that. Oh, that was great, that was. But I, I don't actually have a, a, a personal favourite and I couldn't put my hand on my heart and say, this is my favourite film, as Chris just did. Uh, again, it's difficult to say, but I think there's a pattern with the Bond films for me. They always uh, The Bonds always hit their stride with their third movie. The first one sort of... Uh, is their calm introduction, and then the second one, um, they're just still getting things right, and then the third one really hits it off. So for Sean Connery, it's Goldfinger for me. Um, after, you know, the first one is the first ever Bond movie, and then the second one, he's sort of face-to-face facing his own, um, which is the excellent Robert Shaw and from Russia with Love. And then the third one is Goldfinger, where everything is just seems perfect. The, the the enemy, the uh, car, the gadgets, the girls, everything just seems in place perfect for a Bond movie. Unfortunately, Sean Connery's not my favourite Bond. Roger Moore, uh, against everyone else's probably opinion, is is my favourite Bond. I think I, I love the fact that he's not the guy who's going to, in the face of adversity, suddenly put his fists up and, and go, well, I better beat everyone to death. He's a guy who um, just sort of grins or raises an eyebrow. And I, I kind of believe that if you were one man, a one-man army like these Bond characters are, in the face of adversity, it might be a better thing for your sanity if you took a more sort of humorous look at it and just thought, hey, what the hey? And so I've always <laughs> liked his reaction in movies. You know, t- my favourite ever of Roger Moore's is um, uh, Spy Who Loved Me. Again, he did the Sean Connery thing. He introduced himself with the, his first movie, Live and Let Die, and then he, he went face-to-face against someone of his own, Christopher Lee in, in uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. But Spy Love Me just got it right. The tone was right. It had that fantastic car, which everyone likes the Aston Martins. I love the Lotus Elite, uh, uh, Esprit. Esprit. The yeah. white Lotus Esprit underwater. Mm. 
just tremendous. The underwater scenes are brilliant. The girl, Barbara Bach, is a competent Bond girl, which we don't see very often. It's fantastic. Caroline Monroe was the villain. That is my favourite. And, uh, and, of course, you have Jaws, um, the introduction of Jaws. And that, that's where my comment on Roger Moore really comes in, when he's faced with Jaws. Um, Jaws, he shoots Jaws, manages to hit his metal teeth. Jaws grins, and Roger Moore, looking at him, what's he going to do? He just grins back. And <laughs> it's, it's just the way he deals with these things, rather than going, damn, there's a you know, seven-and-a-half-foot-tall guy coming towards me who's going to kill me with his little finger. He's um, or raising his fists like Sean Connery would. He's kind of like, I'm going to grin about this and go and find a magnet. So I've always thoroughly enjoyed Roger Moore's take on Bond, and that's got to be my favourite of his movies. Um, I think I'm going to go for the one that I've already highlighted, Licence to Kill, just because it is the anti-Bond um, mm. compared to everybody else's. You know, it's always been, you know, very um, cool, very suave, very sophisticated, and there he's just gone. You know, well, sod this. You know, my Licence to Kill is revoked. I'm going to go and. Uh, do it my way, and it's it's a much more lethal, ruthless Bond. So I kind of liked the edge there. I didn't think Timothy Dalton was a bad Bond, actually. I no, I, I quite liked him. He brought um, a grit and an edge to it, didn't he? Mm, definitely. I like Living Daylight as well. I, I, I preferred I, it to License to Kill, to be honest. Oh, I'm not. Li- I didn't like the uh, Living Daylight so much. But the interesting thing is, is if you know, going on Kaz's theory is, you know, the first one is the introduction, the second one they're getting there, the third one gets it right. It would have been really interesting to see what uh, Dalton would have done on a third one. Makes it all the more, all the more remarkable how it lays and be pulled it off with just the one film he did then. <laughs> so now that we've gotten all that out of our systems regarding James Bond, Chris has been camped in the cinema all week watching the brand new Casino Royale. So, Chris, what did you think about it? Yeah, Bond is back. James Blond. Um, yeah, riding the, the the media tidal wave that's that, uh, come alongside this one. Um, you can't move for images of Daniel Craig rising up the water, can you? It's just everywhere. He's on every talk show, every TV show, every radio show, every advert seems to be Bond. Is it worth it? Good God, yes. It is absolutely fantastic. Having now seen it three times, and I'm not tiring of it yet, this is the the Bond film to end them all so far. Daniel Craig, in my opinion, the definitive Bond, because he's believable. Um, he's buffed up. He's, he's, he's you know, he, the thing about him, what what makes this film so special is that you can believe that this man can do the things you see him do. Plus, he can walk into a crowd and he doesn't stand out from the crowd. He's got intelligence there. He's a damn good actor as well. You know, we're not playing around with um, caricature, with cliche, with facial tics, with the raising eyebrow, Connery's quips. Uh, when we've not we've got any of that sort of thing, and of course uh, Brosnan's twinkle in the eye, this is the new age of Bond. Okay, we, the timeline's been messed around with quite a bit because they we're going back to his first ever actual mission as a double O, giving not too much away. The intro shows the first two kills he makes to attain his double um, O status. M again played by Judi Dench, and marvelously slow has a problem with him. He's a bit of a maverick. He's He's a go-getter. He's a, he certainly achieves results, but it's the way he goes about it. He's a bit of a cheeky sod as well, which, of course, is in keeping with Ian Fleming's original character. And, of course, talking about that, uh, Ian Fleming's original book that set the tone for what James Bond was meant to be, you'd be surprised how faithful this film actually is to the book. You know, you might be thinking, well, just where was the air, uh, the plane explosions, the, uh, the, the multiple chases? 
um, the gunfights, the you know all the chaos that you expect from a Bond movie. Where that fit into the book? Well, actually, a lot of it is there, but it's mainly the character who's a and the, the main plot line. His uh, mission this time is to sort of wrestle the funds from um, Mads Mikkelsen, who plays uh, the Shifa, who is um, a terrorist backer. He's a card sharp. He has the obligatory um, Bond villain physical deformity. He has a rather nasty, but only small scar over his eye, but a tendency to weep blood when he's under pressure, which is a bit unusual. Um, well, this guy has lost a lot of money, which the terrorist he's backing want back. If they don't get that back, they want his head. So um, he goes to Casino Royale to try and win the money back. Bond is sent to make sure that he doesn't. So you, ha you do have some card playing in this, and those scenes are pretty exciting as well. But the movie as a whole is a relentless thriller. The fighting when it comes is down and dirty and brutal. Daniel Craig, he's built like a locomotive. When this guy sees his target, nothing will get in his way. No obstacle gets in his way. He just pummels anything. Um, but again, as I, said, as I said before, it's believable. The moves he's doing there, yeah, they're pretty convincing. It's raw, dirty fighting. Uh, it pushes the boundaries of a 12A 12, 12 certificate, I've got to say. Very exciting. Uh, pulse pound the entertainment from start to finish. It's a long film, something like 2 hours 20, but it flies by. There's intrigue there. There's good acting there. The music. David Arnold's soundtrack this time is phenomenal. I wasn't taking on his original soundtracks for the, the last three Bond movies, I think it was, that he did. Uh, but this one is a rollicking good ride. There are sequences here which will have you on the edge of your seat. Well, well recommended. For people who aren't even Bond fans, this is a great cracking thriller. And it will introduce you to a whole new franchise of Bond. And I'm sure you'll be taken on board. And you'll be quite happy to see the next instalment. Which apparently is coming along very, very soon. Because they're starting filming it in the next 12 to 18 months. So we're talking a film um, in two years' time. And that, that's good going. And I, for one, cannot wait. Very highly recommended. If we could give half points out to movies, this would go nine and a half. With more gadgets than Q Branch. The name is Bob. James Bob. This is the AV Podcast. The AV Podcast Gaming News with Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. Hi, I'm Ian Collin. And I'm Seth Gecko. And this is this week's gaming news and reviews. Okay, so first thing this week really has got to be the, the two new console launches that we've seen. Um, first up, PlayStation 3 went on sale in uh, Japan and then the US. And uh, more recently we've had the Wii. It's gone on sale in America. Two pretty contrasting launches from what I've seen. Wii seem to go... <laughs> I want to say flowed smoothly, but that just sounds wrong. Wii, very steady, very gentle release. There was cues for it, as you'd expect. But they, Nintendo had the advantage of having a decent amount of supply so that people could queue up quite happy and go home with a console and play their hearts out for the rest of their lives. PS3, stark contrast, very, very few units. I think 400,000 in total, I think, is what they were looking for. Probably ended up with about half that being distributed uh, in the US, probably about 100,000 in Japan. So in the, the US, people queued for ages and ages. A lot more eventful than the, the Wii launched. Just because there were very few consoles, people queued for hours and hours and hours. It's a lot of funny stories came out of it. People being, well not funny, people being mugged, people being shot at, you know, in a friendly little BB gun kind of way. Just basically being given a hard time for queuing. And it was just a complete pandemonium compared to the, 
the Wii launch. I don't know if you have seen much of the fallout from it. I haven't heard a lot. I don't know people who have bought or got hold of a PS3. I don't know if you've seen anybody or heard anything else on the release. No, I, I actually was looking at the news stories today in terms of um, the PS3 and the Wii, and you had the Wii, which was going for around, I think, $500 on eBay, with PS3s actually hitting the $4,000 mark, which proves two things. One, that there are Sony fanboys, and two, they do have more money than sense. <laughs> it's probably fair payment for those people that queued for hours and hours and hours just to get a PS3 and put it on eBay. Fair play to them. eBay UK have banned uh, sales of PS3s until February, apparently, just to stop people being extorted to pay for a machine that's not great at the moment. And we'll obviously have much better games by March anyway, so you might as well wait as far as I can tell. Yeah, I don't think I blame eBay on that one. I think, I mean, I, th I don't know if it's protecting the punter or if it's just protecting people from being basically um, rip-off merchants and thieves by, you know, making people pay ridiculous sums of money for, in my opinion, something that's not overly that exciting. Oh, we'll see. I'll give it time. There's a few good games come out for it. It's looking quite good. Probably it's not a huge secret that I'm a bit more of an X-boy, Xbox boy rather than a PS person. But, you know, I think it looks okay. I'll, I'll cut it some slack for now. But oh, it's still, apparently it's still flawed though. I've been hearing small-scale uh, backward compatibility issues some of the old PlayStation games where we were assured that they'd all be fine or perfectly okay to play on your PS3. It's been a few of those, I think it's about 200 in total, which sounds like a lot of games, but if you take into account the size of the whole PlayStation back catalogue, it's relatively small. If it's 200 games and they're sort of you know, A-list games like Gran Turismo, then people are going to be upset. If it's games like SpongeBob SquarePants, nobody's going to care. I like SpongeBob SquarePants. And it goes back to money and sense again, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, well, the good news if you don't like Sony, this is a little fact that came through from it, is that apparently uh, they're losing up to $300 on every one that they sell. 20 gig uh, machines, about $240 for every 60 gig machine that they sell, which doesn't make great financial sense, but I'm guessing they'll sell more than enough games to get the money back. But it might take a while. Well, that goes hand in hand with the amount of money that they've just lost with the uh, laptop batteries and the development of the PS3 it was something like $500 million. So um, it, it really does look that PS3s make or break for Sony to a, a large extent with that kind of write-off. Absolutely. doesn't look like it's been a great year for them, but the, at least I've got the machine out on the streets now. And um, unfortunately over here in the UK we'll have to wait for it for at least five months, maybe more, but I'm not going to... Quell any rumours and speculation. Yeah, again, this is all rumour material, but stock's short in America, stock's still way short in Japan, so the odds on there being uh, even a launch potential amount of stock in there in Europe in March is, it would be impressive if they could get that sorted out. Now, when it comes to the consoles, we're the third world, man. We're always last to get the fun. But still, at least means we can stand back and laugh at America and Japan for the must mess they're making of it over there. So, anyway, moving away from PS3s and Wii's to another Sony product, which is the PSP, um, we have the announcement of Rainbow Island's Evolution, on, which is obviously the, the follow-up to Bubble Bubble Evolution, uh, appearing sometime next year on the PSP. Now, it's basically the, 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 the same as the original Rainbow Islands, where you're Bob and Bob the Little Dragons, but now they've decided to in, you know, incorporate a bit of a story, and... Uh, under the shadow of an evil record company, you get to, you know, basically hit things and blow bubbles and so on and so forth with loads of bosses and and so on and, and basically 
jump from platform to platform. Um, basically, Rainbow Islands on PSP, but just with fancier graphics. I've seen some early screenshots, and it does look, you know, um, very evolved from the original. I don't know if you can remember the original when it hit with the uh, Commodore 64 and Spectrums were going way back in the day there. Big time. Um, it was a good game. I mean, Bubble Bowl was a classic, and Rainbow Islands just moved it, you know, on a bit more. So Bubble Bowl always has been my favourite arcade game of all time. To actually um, stand there and play in a uh, in an arcade, it was awesome. See, there you go. Now you've got to go and rush out and buy a PSP to buy the Bubble Bubble Evolution. But then, like I say, you've got Rainbow Island Evolution coming next year. Yeah, I know. This is all far too much expense. <laughs> I'll have to stuck. Have to dig out all those ten Ps. I used to have to play Bubble Bubble with and stick them all into one big jar. As a thought as well. You're talking, saying about the getting away from Sony. Yeah, the game involves an evil record-making company. I'm saying nothing. It's a shame that they don't put Simon Cowell as the evil boss, because that would have kind of fit. Oh, I'd have bought it then. Well, I will we'll buy it. <laughs> Anything to kill him. Yeah, but again, we're not here to make threats to celebrities. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Who I'm sure is a, uh, I'm sure he's a lovely guy. Um, and I would hate to see him killed in any form. <laughs> What's going on? All of a sudden, hey kids, go ahead and kill famous people. <laughs> you heard it here first. You'll get a PS3 if you're lucky. So what else? Okay, well we've done PS3, we've done Wii, um, we've done PSP, so I'll just figure I'll throw in a little bit of Xbox 360 stuff. Again, it's, this is a hardware day for me, unfortunately. Um, it's just a little bit of potential new upgrades, downloads for the Xbox 360, covered one or two recently. But this is a few things which might be coming up. I think Microsoft already announced that you'll be able to download TV shows and movies to rent via their Xbox Live TV service. But there's also been a few other things that they've maybe given away by sending out a survey asking people various questions about what they'd be interested in buying. One of those would be whether you'd be interested in buying full movies, standard definition movies. So assuming lots of people say yes, and they'll be um, being able to lay on that service as well. We have to buy films for, we've got a price somewhere in the region of about £10 a film, about £1 a TV show, equating the figures that are listed in the, the questions to the survey. Also, uh, possibilities of new controllers coming out as well. Talking about, um, what is it, how interested are you in purchasing a wireless controller in the next 12 months? Assuming it will have backlit ABXY buttons, rubber grips, a premium colour, and a slightly improved D-pad performance, and costs 59 to $69. I'm not interested at all, but it might be something that's coming up. As well as a, a wireless joystick, designed for playing Xbox Live Arcade titles, which would be awesome with Bubble Bubble, I'm sure. I think there's one already coming up. I think uh, manufacturer Mad Cats are due to release one. It looks quite funky, somewhere between like a an old school Spectrum joystick and uh, uh, it looks like an old Nintendo pad as well, a little cube pad. Weird design, but um, yeah, joysticks. Arca Xbox Live Arcade finally with the joystick. That'll be sweet. And what the other thing, a mini keyboard as well. You have to get a keyboard to plug into your Xbox 360, so that all the PC people that hate Xbox 360s because doesn't have a keyboard, now you can get one. And I'm assuming you can get a mouse to go with it. So all those people that hate Xbox first-person shooters because they hate the control pad can get a mouse and a keyboard to go with it. Not so like sure people, people like me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a few. Although actually, I think Microsoft or the the survey says that it's keyboards aimed for to make text messages and chats easier. I don't know why people just chat on Xbox Live why you can't use mic. But yeah, perhaps some people don't like to hear their own voice. What was the survey called? Pimp up my Xbox. Probably something like that. Yeah, please. Um, yeah, how many more ways can we fleece you of your hard-earned cash? Oh, that'll be the one. Controversial. 
Going on hardware and going back to Nintendo, on the 8th of December, Nintendo fans who've got DS or DS Lite will be able to buy the Nintendo MP3 player. Uh, now, basically, it's a little card that you'll be able to plug in and use a, an SD memory stick, I assume. I'm not sure if the SD comes with it or not. You might have to buy it separately, uh, which will hold about 150, car, uh, 150 songs, and you can listen to it as an MP3 player while on the move with your, M uh, your Nintendo DS. But, not only, but also, it'll also work on the SP and Game Boy Micro. Sounds cool. So if you've got basically a, a Game Boy Advance, Advance SP, a, a Micro, or DS or DS Lite, you'll be able to buy this little MP3 gizmo. And better still, it's only going to have an RRP of about 20 quid. Sounds like a bargain. I suppose more companies don't do stuff like that. It'll sort of just help you turn your little handheld or your little small uh, consoles into slightly more train-friendly devices, shall we say. So you can play games, you can listen to the tunes, you could watch more. Well, basically, you want a PSP that's not a PSP. You just want to... <laughs> You want a PSP that can do everything, but actually has some decent games. And, uh, yeah, it costs about half, half the price. The price. <laughs> yes. um, the, the cool thing is, is obviously, when you've loaded your um, SD memory card, you'll be able to look at the, the screen, and you'll be able to select all your songs. I don't know how it'll work on the DS if you can use the touchscreen, a la, you know, a sort of a, an iPod-y type interface on the touchscreen. But whatever, if, you know, for 20 quid and you want an MP3 player and you only want to carry one thing around, kind of cool. Okay, so my game review for this week's been one that uh, a lot of Xbox 360 gamers have been waiting for for a long, long time, and that is Gears of War. If you're not sure what it's about, it's uh, technically it's a pretty standard futuristic first-person shooter. It's just another one, and you're those big square-jawed all-American heroes out to save the world. And the big thing about it, the thing that's taken most of the hype, is that it just looks absolutely fantastic. It's the best-looking Xbox 360 game that there's ever been and probably will be for some time yet. Although I'm sure that the people making Halo 3 will be making similar kind of claims themselves. Definitely the best-looking game I've seen on any console. And it looks and it plays superbly. But whilst loads of people are going to be giving it massively, massively high scores, it's not 100% perfect. The gameplay is superb, handles quite well. Um, you've got really intense action scenes and sequences in there that look and play fantastic. You've got this cool melee weapon fixed to your gun. You've got a chainsaw. How's that for a secondary weapon? A chainsaw fixed to your gun. Which just, it, it looks very, very cool when you use it. Awesome effects. Camera pans out, you see it. It's bloody gory. Awesome. But then it's also got quite a, a key cover element is quite important on this, which slows the game down. If you go in there all guns blazing, you're going to get torn to shreds because the enemy AIs, they're fierce. They're not a nice bunch of people. So you've got to kind of stealth your way through it slightly, basically moving from one convenient cover point to the next very convenient cover point, standing up, shooting, getting the action scenes on, and then progressing through the game, which unfortunately it's quite short. You could probably get it finished in about six hours, something like that, five, six hours, which is very short for um, a next generation tile, even though it is a very, very good five or six hours. Some of the levels they look fantastic, always look fantastic. That's the one thing that should be remembered about Gears of War. It's the best looking game of its generation. But some of the levels can be a little bit samey. It's not repetitive, but it's just kind of, oh, I just did that on the last level, I'm doing it again now. But always having a good time with it. But there are criticisms against the game. But like I say, it is short. It's awesome, great fun. I'd recommend that you play it. But because of its, its shortness and brief bits of repetition, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. But I think it's going to be massive multiplayer, Xbox Live. Um, so for that, if you're into your multiplayer, then it's worth a 9. So overall score, I'll give it an 8, but stick on 1 if you play Xbox Live. Brought to you by AVForums and AVPlay.com. Oh my God!
my God. Is there nothing you people can't do? This is the AV Podcast. Many of our listeners will be aware of the HD format war about to hit UK shores in the next few weeks. Well, to combat some of the misinformation that surrounds the upcoming formats, Guildford-based PJ Hi-Fi will be hosting two special HD DVD insider chats for AV Forums members on Wednesday the 20th of December. The AV podcast will be on hand during both sessions and will be reporting on the outcome for all those who can't attend on the day, including interviews with the organisers and attendees. With special guests from Microsoft and a chance to see the format in one of the UK's best demo rooms, tickets for these sessions are likely to go fast. So keep an eye on our HD DVD forums for more details as they're posted. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. And now it's time for this week's competitions and we've got some cracking DVDs to start with. First off, we have Miami Vice on Region 2. Michael Mann's feature-length version of Miami Vice is available to own and rent on DVD from the 27th of November, and we have three copies to give away. All you have to do is answer this simple question. Who played the original Crockett? And next up from Sony Home Entertainment is Monster House on Region 2 DVD, which is available to rent or buy on the 11th of December. The DVD is packed with amazing extras including audio and video commentaries, character designs and never before seen outtakes. And to win yourself one of two copies, just answer this simple question. Which actor is in both Monster House and My Name is Earl? And next up for Trekkies Everywhere is Star Trek The Animated Series, which is one of the most popular Star Trek TV shows of all time. This four-disc set, including all 22 episodes, is released on the 4th of December from Paramount Home Entertainment. We have two copies to give away, and all you have to do is answer this question. Which major Star Trek character doesn't appear in the animated series? And finally for this moment in time is the eagerly anticipated Deal or No Deal, the DVD game, just in time for Christmas. We have two copies of Deal or No Deal, the DVD game, to give away. And all you have to do is tell us who presents the TV series, Deal or No Deal. And next up is Seth to tell us about our gaming competitions. Well, first up, we have Superman Returns for Xbox 360. We have three copies of this game to give away. It looks absolutely brilliant. It's a 3D um, game very similar to Grand Theft Auto, where you walk around Metropolis and basically fight crime. And to win this competition, answer this simple question. Who originally played Superman in the original TV series? We also have three copies of Medal of Honor Heroes on the PlayStation Portable to give away. This game is a first-person shooter in the World War II genre. And to win this prize, just answer this simple question. What does MOH stand for? And that's all the competitions we have time for in this edition of the podcast. But we have another four additional competitions up on the forums. So if you'd like to win any of these prizes and you know the answers to the questions, head over to avforums.com forward slash competitions. And don't forget, if you've entered any of our previous competitions... Why not check out the same page to find out if you're a winner? And we'll have more competitions for you next week. You're listening to the AV Podcast. Oh, worth it. Totally worth it. 
And that wraps up this week's Movies and Games edition of the AV Podcast. Don't forget to download the Hardware Edition, which features the latest audio-visual news and a roundup of the best MP3 players to buy this festive season. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening, stay subscribed, and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. The audio-visual news was written by John Archer. Original music by Andrew Bassett. The AV Play review team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust, and Seth Gecko. The gaming news and reviews were presented by Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2N Limited.